Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. This talk was titled, Restored in Christ, uh, A Theology of Healing. And then there was sort of a subtitle, which was called to be healed, healing life's hurts. And uh, this is the kind of talk that is much better given by a saint. Um, but you've been, you've been uh, given a wretched, wretched sinner. So um, I will do my best. But what I want this to be is, uh, I want this to be a practical talk. I think there's a place for um, sort of rich exploration of the problem of suffering, for uh, diving into the mystery of, of the problem of evil. Uh, but I want this to be a bit more practical than that. Um, so this won't be incredibly dry. It won't be incredibly academic. Um, it will hopefully touch a very personal and very real chord. Um, what I want to get out of the way, though, is that suffering is, what we can say about suffering, what we can say about the suffering we're allowed to endure, it is certainly a consequence of sin, is certainly used by God to call us back uh, to uh, a deep and profound dependence upon him. Suffering is uh, also used uh, in God's redemptive plan, right? So, so I want to get that out of the way up front, right? That is all true. But I want to talk tonight particularly about the kind of suffering, uh, the sort of deep emotional, spiritual, psychological suffering that we, f we, we encounter as we grow in and through our lives. And part of this might be, and I think it relates certainly to our human sexuality, right? Um, I wanna talk about the deep wounds that motivate, that drive, that uh, are intimately related to things like lust, pornography use, uh, but other things as well, things like cutting, um, things like Serial, being, being a serial monogamist, right? Relationship after relationship after relationship. The heartache, the pain. I want to dive into some of that. Um, so, so let's begin. A couple passages here from, from Scripture. The first is, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. It's from Isaiah. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. It's from Isaiah as well. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them. Psalm 107. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Jeremiah 17, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, 1 Peter 2. And lastly, Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So it seems abundantly evident to me that Christ wants to heal us. It seems undeniable. And that was, I mean, there are so many more passages that directly use the word heal. But what I'm, what I'm profoundly uh, sort of struck by is the fact that despite this reality that Christ wants to heal us, so many of us remain deeply, deeply broken, deeply hurting, stuck in the same habitual patterns of sin, pornography, masturbation, cutting, um, uh, self-loathing, low self-esteem, right? We, but we go to confession. We go to the sacraments. We go to the Eucharist. We go, and the brokenness still remains. Even in that video we saw, uh, one gentleman said, if only they knew the love of Christ, if they could plunge themselves into the love of Christ. And I think what I want this talk to be about tonight is how do we do that? 
So, so the answer is simple, right? If you want the cliff notes, the answer is Jesus, right? Uh, restored in Christ. There it is, y'all, right? Um, there's going to be no surprise here what the ultimate answer is. But I think what we have, and I include myself in that, is I think we have a problem of how do we get Christ's healing deep into our life, right? So I, I want to lead with my story a little bit because I think talks like this, um, it's best not to be perceived as if I'm speaking from some ivory tower, right? So my brief experience uh, of suffering and brokenness. So when I was uh, four years old, uh, my biological father left, right? Um, he was never married to my mom, he left. And so from a very young age, I remember it just being my mom and I. Um, and she tells me, I, I don't have much of a memory of this, but she tells me, here I am, a little three-year-old. Um, my biological father is African-American. I'm wandering around. She said, every time we go to the grocery store, every time you saw a black man, you would say, is that my dad? Mom, is that my dad? Right? I just hadn't, I had, I hadn't seen him, but I had this deep desire to know my dad. Um, and I will tell you that not having a father in your life, right? Some of you know this. Some of you have experienced this. But not having a father in your life, right? Not having a mother in your life. If a parent has left, it leaves, with, it leaves you with this deep wound. And the wound is, why was I not good enough to keep them around? Right? Why was I not loved? Did they not love me enough? Am I not lovable? Fast forward a couple years, my mom meets my stepdad. And he's a wonderful man. He legally adopts me. And for a couple years, everything was really wonderful. Um, and then he, he relapsed. He had been sober for a number of years, and he relapsed with drugs and alcohol. And again, the same wound, that deep and profound wound. And thus, at this point began a number of sort of moving in and out of, my, of our home, right? We moved out, and my dad promised he'd get sober, and he didn't, and we moved back in anyway. And then he promised he'd get sober again, and he didn't, and he relapsed, and we moved out again, and we moved back and forth, right? With myself and my little brother and my mom. And the same question is ringing in me, right? I mustn't be good enough. If he loved me enough, he'd stay sober. If he loved me enough, he'd want to keep our family together. Right? So this pain, this brokenness, not knowing what to do with it, um, right, I, turned to, I turned to friends. I turned to relationships. Um, I, I turned to some temporal healing. Right? I, I just wanted to feel better. Um, I went to a, a small high school in a town, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, and I don't know why you're laughing. Um, and, uh, this high school I went to was, was predominantly white, right? I was, I was the only African-American. I'm half African-American. I was the only person of any African-American descent at the time. And uh, in that school again, um, I turned to my friends. I turned to, to my peers um, to make me feel connected, to make me feel wanted, to make me feel desirable. And I didn't get that, right? I was, I was um, probably not a surprise, but I was like a nerd. I really liked books. I played the tuba in the band. Um, right? These are not the best ways to be popular, in, at least in my high school. Um, and also, I was different. I looked different. And I heard the word, um, I heard the word nigger for the first time. Right? And that, word, that it cut. It cut. It was another, you're not good enough. We don't want you here. Right? So what do you do with all this pain, all this confusion? Again, we're moving in and out of the house. Dad's relapsing. And if you've lived with an alcoholic parent, if you've lived with a parent who's a drug addict, there's a chaos that comes with it. There's a confusion. There's a, um, a disorder. It's just, it, it swirls. And I felt lost. I felt untethered. And so um, I turned uh, to alcohol myself. And I turned to uh, relationships. See, this deep wound in me, not feeling good enough, not feeling lovable, not feeling wanted, I thought, well, how do you fix that? Well, I'll show people how lovable I am. I'll show people how valuable I am, right? So I set out to make myself lovable and valuable and to prove to myself, right? To avoid that deep pain, right? And I, I, I became student body president, right? Class president for sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, in our high school, um, like the big, there's a big deal. Miss, her name's Miss Buck, we're the Dunmore Bucks. Miss Buck is the featured twirler. I took Miss Buck to prom, right? <laughs> She wears a motorcycle helmet with antlers, right? Yeah. But this is a big deal where I'm from, right? I set out, I set out to prove that I was worthwhile, that I was valuable. And what came with this, right, was a whole lot of um, sexual disorder, 
I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel cared for. And so I jumped into all sorts of unchaste behavior uh, with young women. And then I turned to drugs and alcohol, right? Because that, that hole in my soul, that pain, is simply not going away. And I need something to numb it. So I turned to drugs and alcohol. And drugs and alcohol is this wonderful um, accelerator of, of debauchery, right? And I go away to college. Um, Again, I'm, I'm valuable, so I want to get into a top 25 college. I wanted to get into Georgetown University, and I did. And I get to Georgetown, and I am still empty, still broken. And now I'm drinking and using drugs. And the depth and depravity of the unchaste behavior I'm getting into right, continues to grow. And the thing about, the thing about it is when you're, when you're living out of your wounds, when you're living out of your hurts, and you, you add alcohol to the mix, you hurt other people as well. And so what I start doing is I, be, I start becoming a tornado in people's lives, right? An absolute, an absolute terror in the lives of people. And all of my brokenness is contributing to brokenness in others. And I don't know what to do. My life is unraveling. I dropped out of college, right? I simply couldn't do it. Dropped out of college, ended up uh, working at a deli uh, part-time. Um, and I was a terrible employee, right? Um, I'd get home at like, you know, 3, 4 in the morning. I'd have to be in there at 5.30 in the morning to open up the deli on Senior Citizens Day. And I'd walk in there, right, raging headache. Uh, and I'd go in the back, and I'd fall asleep. And my boss would wake me up at like 7.30 and be like, what are you doing, right? I was just a nightmare. I was a wreck. Unemployable. I had no more friends in my life. All the friends I had amassed wanted nothing to do with me. Um, the sexual sin, the unchaste behaviors, right? They had gone as far as you can go, right? I don't need to be graphic, but they had gone as far as you could go repeatedly, over and over and over. And I felt so empty, I felt so useless. One night I found myself driving the car, my car, bawling my eyes out, desperately trying to work up the courage to crash the car into the center pillar of this uh, train track in our town. And for the first time in my life, my desire to kill myself was greater than the fear of killing myself. I desperately wanted to die, desperately. The next day, through God's providence and grace, I ended up in a drug and alcohol treatment center for 28 days. And that began the, that began the greatest journey of healing in my life um, that I have ever experienced. So every person in here, every one of you, is in pain tonight. Every one of you. And I apologize for drinking coffee. This, we're like rapidly approaching my bedtime. <laughs> um, so this is going to work. This is going to keep me awake for this. And it's going to be a terrible, terrible night tonight, because I'm going <laughs> to not sleep. Um, but every one of us tonight. Every one of us tonight is desperately in need of healing, all of us. We are all deeply broken. And we are all involved uh, in this sort of universal cover-up. Right? We walk around campus, right? We, we look good. We smile. Uh, we use humor. We laugh. Right? Um, sometimes we romanticize our brokenness, you know? Just so broke, just a sinner in need of a savior, y'all, right? You say it with a big <laughs> smile. Yeah? Just, Right? Right? This is so, but, right? but what we're doing is we're cheapening the reality of what's happening inside of us, all of us. Um, and, and your suffering, your brokenness, your, it doesn't have to be, your wounds, they don't have to be some big thing, right? You don't have to have had a drug problem, you don't have to have an alcohol problem. It can be as simple as, uh, it can be as simple as growing up. I had a client once, I was sitting with this young man, and he said, growing up, every day my dad would help come home from work, sit in his chair, open a beer, and he said, I ran into, into the room, and I just wanted my dad to love me and pay attention to me. And he said, my dad made me feel like I was so annoying. Right? And this is 25 years later. I'm sitting face to face with this, this young man. And that wound, the fact that his dad made him feel like he was so annoying, he felt at the core of his being like he was a nuisance to everybody. He acted out of that wound. Right? The majority of his life was aimed at acting out of that wound, trying not to feel like a nuisance, like an annoyance, like a, 
our wounds don't have to be from big traumatic experiences in order to hurt very, very, very much. So the question in my mind is simply this. We're all broken, but we're all involved in this universal sort of conspiracy or cover-up to cover up our brokenness. And I think we have this intuition, and I think most of you probably rightly have this intuition, that the answer to your brokenness is Christ. But I think what happens is we show up to the church, we show up to the, the liturgy, we show up to Franciscan's campus, we start praying the rosary, we go to the sacraments, we, and nothing happens. And that actually makes us feel even worse. Well, this is the answer, yeah? Christ is the answer. Well, I've been coming here, and I'm still broken. I'm still hurting. I'm not getting better. Why? Why? How do we have a radical encounter with Christ? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out five, five easy steps at the end of this talk, uh, how to have this radical encounter. But the first thing I want to say is that I think that all of our wounds, I want to talk about these wounds a little deeper. I think all of our wounds are fundamentally caused because we are made to be loved unconditionally. You were made to be loved unconditionally. And you were made to subsequently then love. And the wounds that are inside of us, deep inside of us, and again, we cover them up. If you're sitting there thinking, nah, Dr. B, I think, I think you're wrong, right? I don't really think, I, I don't think I'm wounded. We cover them up. We cover them up with accomplishments. We cover them up with lots of friends. We cover them up with lots of awards. We cover them up with all sorts of things. But oftentimes at the root is a deep, deep wound. And that wound is almost always caused, in my experience, by a failure to be loved. By a failure to be loved. A failure to be loved unconditionally. Right? In some ways, I think all of our wounds are caused by a failure to be loved. So that gentleman, I gave the example of that young man who felt so annoying, right? That deep wound that he felt, I'm so annoying. Nobody wants to be around me. And that caused him, I mean, he, was, he had a PhD. He ran ultra marathons, right? I mean, this guy, by all, but if you looked at him, you would think this guy's got, I mean, he was a real sharp looking dude. You would think this guy's got it all together. And what motivated so much of who and how he was was this fear that he was annoying and he wasn't good enough. And it's because his dad failed to love him. Right? His dad failed to love, them, love him the way he needed to be loved. Okay. So here's the bottom line. Christ wants to heal you. He wants to heal us. Ultimately, this healing will not reach completion until we're in heaven, right? Ultimately, this healing will finally reach its completion when we are in heaven. But it can begin now radically. And you can be radically transformed in your pain, in your hurts, and in your wounds. Now, this will be a life work. Right? That's the disclaimer. This is, this is life's work. And as you heal from one thing, other things will be revealed. More will always be revealed. This is the great grace and blessing of God. It is his mercy to us. That once we heal from one thing and we think, yeah, man, I got this, right? Like, I'm doing pretty good, Lord, right? All of a sudden, you see another deep wound, another deep hurt, right? If you, if you want to see how wounded and how broken you are, right, get married, right? <laughs> um, right? Try. What I mean by that is what, what, what's held in front of you every day, uh, not because this is not, not because my wife does this to me, but I, I recognize my own failings to love. I recognize my own hurts. And then if you want to re realize how even more broken you are, become a parent, right? And watch how many times you screw up and start asking yourself, why am I messing up so much? Why did I just yell? Why did I just yell that way, right? Why did I just treat my child that way? And almost always for me, it comes back to some wound and some deep message that I learned and internalized very early on. But this is, this is God's mercy that we get this in titrated doses, right? And we can heal. Okay, so why aren't we healing? I'm gonna to jump to the answer. The reason we're not healing is because we're not putting ourselves in a position to be healed. 
We are simply not putting ourselves in a position to be healed. If we want to be healed by Christ, he has to touch the wound. If we want to be healed by Christ, he has to touch the wound. And this is where I want us to, to talk about this anatomy of a wound here. Uh, I got some of this from Bob Shute's book, uh, Be Healed. Uh, so the anatomy of a wound, if you look up here, this sort of bullseye, you'll see that there is a wound, there's a hurt, whatever it is, right? You got teased, you got made fun of, you got left out, your parents got divorced, uh, your mom or dad had an affair, you're right there, we have these wounds, whatever it is. You were, these are other things, right? Some of them go deeper. Things like physical abuse, sexual abuse, right? We have these wounds. And what happens when we get wounded is we, de we develop beliefs about ourselves. And we internalize these beliefs. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. People only love me because of right, my good looks or because when I'm funny or because right, we, do, we, we, we take these messages and they take root in us. Right? And these beliefs that we develop oftentimes result in promises we make to ourselves. I will never be hurt like that again. I will never let anybody mistreat me. I will never let anybody make me feel small. I will never feel insecure or insignificant again, right? We make promises. And out of these beliefs and promises, we do a very natural thing. We engage in self-preservation. So the truth is, when somebody has called you a nigger, when, somebody, when your parent has walked out on you, when you have a wound of feeling unlovable, not valuable, right? It feels terrible to live in that state. And so we, we preserve ourselves. So I do what anybody would do, which is I don't want to feel that pain, right? And this is like the one thing Freud got right. He, maybe he got two things right, but one of them is we want to avoid pain fundamentally, sort of at the core of our fallen human nature, we don't like pain. And when we have a deep wound and the beliefs that flow from it, I'm ugly, my body's ugly, I'm disgusting, how could, every, how could anyone ever love me? We don't want to feel that. You don't want to sit in that. So what you do is you try to reduce the pain of that. So we do all sorts of things. We start hooking up, right? Uh, we engage in all these hookups, right? Maybe, maybe if I can attract all these men, attract all these women, I'll prove to myself that I am lovable, that I am attractive, that I am good enough, right? uh, We start to look at pornography. I think, I think that the overwhelming, when we talk about pornography and masturbation, I think the overwhelming cause of pornography use is a deep wound in intimacy. We have this desire within us to feel desired. I want to be desired. I want to feel like somebody looks at me and they just love me. They desire me. They want to be with me. They just want intimacy with me. In the first place we get this, and it's in a non-sexual way, but the first place we get this is from our parents. Do our parents look at us like we are irrepeatable, unreplaceable gifts? Do they look at us like, I want to be in your presence right now? Or do they look at us dismissingly? Do we not feel like we have intimacy with our parents? I think the wound of intimacy is what turns a number of people to pornography. Because in pornography, for a brief, fragile, and fleeting moment, you have this sense of, this person wants me. They only want me. You feel desired, you feel desirable, right? We try to preserve ourselves. We try to preserve ourselves by not feeling the hurt, by never having to think about that deep wound. So we engage in all of these control strategies in our life to prevent ourselves from having to feel about the wound. And ultimately, and I don't mean this to be critical, I'm the first, but ultimately all of this is selfish. We turn in upon ourselves to save ourselves. I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel useless. I don't want to feel ugly. I don't want to feel unloved. So in my self-interest, I preserve myself. And I do whatever I have to do, right? I, I, I get awards. I get accomplishments, right? I, 
surround myself by beautiful people. I do, but I also do a whole host of other things. And the other things I do grow out of that selfishness. When you are radically selfish, trying to preserve yourself from feeling the pain of a wound, sin always follows. Selfishness results in sin. Sin is rooted in selfishness. Sin always follows. And the sin makes our lives miserable then, right? So we start looking at pornography. We get greedy. We get envious. We get lustful. We get filled with anger, right? Our lives start to feel disordered and chaotic. And it's rooted in these wounds. And we've, we've, we've built this shell around us, the shell of selfishness and self-interestedness. And here's the thing. It can look really attractive on the surface. Going on a mission trip can be selfish, right? I want people to think that I am just doing so well and that I am like, you know, on fire for the Lord. And I want people to think that I, that's me wanting people to think something about me. That's self-interest, right? So you can, you can look on the surface and people look like they're banging on all cylinders and they are, they are deeply trying to protect and preserve themselves from feeling and hearing that deep, small, painful voice that says you are not good enough, nobody could love you, you have to earn love, you have to earn God's love, you have to earn your friend's love, people will always leave you. We have all these messages. So, sin follows. I like this, this tree sort of analogy. Imagine we have this wound, okay? And the roots of the tree feed off the wound. If there is an unhealed wound, the life of that unhealed wound is sort of sucked up through the roots. And we imagine the trunk of the tree to be our, our beliefs about ourselves, our negative beliefs. Imagine the branches of the tree to be all of those uh, promises we make ourselves. And imagine the leaves of the tree to be our self-preservation. We have this beautiful cherry tree in our backyard. And uh, it's an ornamental cherry tree. And it, it blooms every year. Uh, it's really, really pretty. And it's dying. But you wouldn't know it's dying because it still blooms each year. And that will gradually diminish as the years progress. But this is what we do. We can look on the surface like this beautiful sort of ornamental tree, right? Look at the fruit. It looks deceptive. Sometimes it can look good. But when it's rooted in an unhealed wound, eventually the leaves will always fall off. And eventually the fruit of that tree becomes rotten. So let me give an, uh, one more analogy. Um, one more analogy is uh, a greenhouse. Imagine a greenhouse. And you've got these beautiful plants in your greenhouse, right? And uh, the sun is shining on your greenhouse. And as long as that sun is shining on the greenhouse, the plants grow. They thrive. So the greenhouse, the plants, they're like, they're your soul, right? It's your soul. The sun, the sunlight is God and God's love. And what happens is when we get a wound and we start to try to preserve ourselves in these self-interested ways, right? It's like spray paint, right? We start to spray paint, black spray paint on that, on that greenhouse. Our defects of character, this constant acting out of fear, acting out of selfishness, acting out of, it's like spray paint. And eventually what happens is that greenhouse is covered in this black spray paint, which is our attempts to keep ourselves from having to feel this pain. And the sunlight is blocked from shining on the plants. And what happens? What happens? The plants all die. They wither and they die. So if we are going to be healed, what we have to do is we have to recognize the black spray paint on that greenhouse, and we have to start chipping it away. And as we chip away that black spray paint, the sunlight of the spirit, God's love, God's presence, you will, it will return. It has never left. But what has happened is we have blocked out God's healing touch. It is that simple. And I think this is why we can go to mass, we can go to confession, we can go to the sacraments and not feel the level of healing that we expect to feel. Because even though we're there, we are still engaged in our pain avoidance strategies. 
We haven't let them go yet. We haven't laid down our arms. We haven't surrendered. Again, we'll say these wonderful, these wonderful slogans. Yeah, I'm broken. I just need to give my brokenness to the Lord. But that is generic and it's inauthentic. If you want to give your brokenness to the Lord, you have to name it. You have to enter the wound specifically, intentionally, and you have to stand in it. You have to stand in the heart of the wound before Christ can touch it. You have to crack it open and you have to hand it to him. And this is not easy and we should not pretend like it's easy. If you've been physically or sexually abused to go back into that memory, to go back into that pain, to go back into that betrayal, if your parents are divorced, if you have an eating disorder, if you've cut yourself, if you, to go back into those wounds that inspire so much of our dark, secret, hurting, desperate behavior, it is very painful and it takes great courage. It takes great courage. But if we are to heal genuinely and authentically and not to pretend like we are healed, then we have to crack it open. We have to hold it to the one who can heal us. Now, I said before that I think all wounds are a failure to be loved. So if all wounds are a failure to be loved, we're made for unconditional love, then the answer to the healing of our wounds is love. It's unconditional love. Unconditional love must touch our wound. So who is that unconditional love? That unconditional love is a person, is the person of Christ. And if we want to heal, the simple answer is we must have a radical encounter with Christ. Part of the problem, I think, is that oftentimes we fashion Christ in the image of our parents. Right? We imagine that Christ, now intellectually, that's not true. So if I asked all of you here, I do a lot of times in my class, I'm like, who is God? And you're all like, God is love. Dr. B, God is love. He loves us, right? I'm like, yeah, you got it, great. But knowing that God is love and experiencing God is, experiencing God is love are very different. Right? We all know the right answer. All of y'all know the right answer. But that does not mean that you have had an encounter with a God who is love. So um, I remember uh, this encounter with God, right? And I want to tell a story. This encounter with God, how does God love us? God's love with us, it, it is a, it's a withness, right? He comes to be with us. He comes to be with us. It's a oneness, it's a withness. And this is immensely and incredibly healing. And we experience this in our day-to-day -day human lives as well. I had a therapy client once who was um, sharing about something very painful, a young woman, and she burst into tears. Burst into tears. And I probably could have given her a number of answers in that moment, right? Hey, don't be sad. Um, your mom or dad was really wrong in what they did. Hey, don't worry about it. You're gonna have a great life. Right? There's all these things I probably could have said. Um, but what happened was I started crying, right? And I think that was probably the most healing, profound thing that could have happened in that moment. And the reason for that is because she simply had an experience of feeling like she mattered to somebody. Right? And she said to me, why, why are you crying? And I said, because I've, I've come to care about you and it really hurts me to see you in that much pain. Right? And this is what Christ does with us in his healing in a radical way. He steps into the heart of our wound. He steps into the heart of it. And he stays with us. He cries with us. He sighs with us. He cries out, God, why have you abandoned me with us? His presence, his witness is deeply healing. How do we get that in us? All right. Dr. Bruinger's five steps to healing. All right. The first, we must admit utter and complete defeat. We have to lay down our arms. We have to lay down our self-preservation tactics. Um, I think one thing, 
I don't, I think one of my wounds, uh, I got the message very early on that uh, you are valuable uh, if you're really smart. So all the people in my family, right, they've gone to Columbia, they've gone to Johns Hopkins, Georgetown, Yale, right, they're really well-educated people. So I think one thing that we can do, right, we can, we can start to, um, one of these ways that we can sort of defend ourselves is we can engage in rationalization, justification. We can become really heady and intellectual. All of these things are strategies and ways to avoid our hurt. One last story. I was working with a veteran who had killed a child in war. He had shot a child. And he said, the worst part about it is I don't think I had to shoot him. Um, the child had raised a gun, but the child couldn't cock the gun. And he said, I, I could have run over and stopped him. And he said, instead, I shot him. And then he was so mad that um, the child had come out of this hut. He was so mad that he had shot this child that he took a grenade and he threw it in the hut. And he killed a grandmother, a grandfather, um, and two more small children. And if you met this guy, right, deeply wounded, do you know what this guy became when he, when he, when he, left, uh, when he left the war? He became a, a, a teacher. He taught first graders, right? This was his way of trying to not feel that pain, right? So he thought he was a monster. He thought he didn't deserve to be around children. He didn't, but he wanted to block and push that out of his mind. So he became a first grade teacher. Surely I'm not a bad person if I'm a first grade teacher. Surely I can't be that bad, right? We need to lay down our arms and admit complete and utter defeat. If you think you, in and of yourself, can still heal these wounds, protect yourself from these hurts, you will not have this radical encounter with Christ. So we must admit complete defeat and admit that our way of dealing with the pain is not working. Our sarcasm, our humor, our slick, cool, suaveness, whatever we are doing, it is not working. Okay. Step two, many of us need to then have a, a really honest conversation with ourselves about who we think God is. We oftentimes view God as one of ourselves, untrustworthy. Right? Uh, God's just waiting uh, with his finger over the smite button, right? I told some of my students this, but uh, when I was in college, again, in one of those, those um, in a moment of, of uh, intoxication, I did something terrible. And I thought I was going to get in a lot of trouble for it. And I said a foxhole prayer. I said, God, if you get me out of this, I will do anything. I will radically change my life, Lord. Right? This was it. This was my conversion moment, y'all. It was going to be big. And I got out of it. Right? And I was so relieved to get out of this, this particular thing. And so I went and I got a tattoo to thank the Lord, okay? okay? Got a big old cross on my arm. Didn't darken the doorway of a church, right? That didn't cross my mind. Didn't, didn't go to confession, didn't go to the side. But I got a, I, I got a cross tattoo, right? Now it's real, y'all. And two weeks later, two, I'm not kidding you, two weeks later, I was doing the same thing, right? Two weeks later, I'm doing the same thing. And I thought, right, my image of God was God was just waiting. Matt, I'm going to, mm, got you now, man, right? So the first thing is we lay down our arms. The second thing is we have to have an honest, an honest appraisal of how we think about God. Not, not what is the right answer. You all know the right answer. But in your heart of hearts, how do you really feel about God? I did this research study at Baylor, and... Uh, sort of asked people how they thought about God, and overwhelmingly, right? It's a good Protestant school, big Baptist school. God is love, God is forgiving, God is kind. Overwhelming responses. But when you ask them how they interact with God, emotionally, fearfully, and avoidantly. Well, that, that doesn't make sense, right? God is love. Keep him the heck away from me, right? <laughs> what we know up here, oftentimes, and, and this... There's a great temptation on Franciscan's campus to do this. 
and I think more so here. I think it's harder to be a good Catholic on Franciscan's campus than it is at Baylor, at Penn State. At, and what I mean by that is you guys are oftentimes more engaged in a cover-up. Because when you doubt God, when you feel like God isn't close, when you don't feel like you love God, when you feel like God is angry or distant, or, I wonder who you can say that to. I know you can say it to Father Nathan. I know you can say it to Brother David. There are people here who can listen to that. But I think oftentimes what you all do is you play pretend with one another. Right? And that impedes our healing. We need, to have a, we need to have a gut check how we actually think about God. Okay, that's step two. Step three, we gotta get down to causes and conditions. We need to get at the wound we need to get at the selfishness and self-interestedness that we've been engaged in, and we need to get at the sin. How do we do that? We make a list of all of our wounds. We illuminate every nook and cranny of our past, every deep, dark secret, every shameful, low-down, dirty thing that you promised you would never tell anybody. You write it down. And the only thing that's important here is absolute thoroughness and honesty. You write it all down on paper. You write any traumatic memories. Any, any memories that you want to avoid, you write them down in detail. You write why it hurts. You write what beliefs have arisen from it. You write any promises that you've made as a result of those beliefs. I'll never be hurt again. I'll never let anyone leave me again. And lastly, but most importantly, you write what selfish and sinful ways you've been trying to avoid the pain. What techniques, how have you been trying to avoid stepping into that wound? We end up living out of our wounds, y'all. And we need to recognize how much of our lives I'm talking to each and every one of you, and I'm talking to myself, and I'm talking to the priests and the brothers, how much of our lives are rooted in our wounds. The careers we choose, the professions we choose, the people we hang out with, the, the way we present ourselves, and we need to get down into the heart of the wound. Leave nothing out. Step four, now we've got this list, and it's, for the first time, you will probably be looking at yourself on paper in black and white, honestly. Here is all of my hurts, here is all of my fears, here is all of my traumas, here are all of the ways that I try to avoid the pain, all of my defense mechanisms, my self-preservation, my sin, and it's in detail. See, when we go to confession, we do this thing, right, where we speak in vagaries. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been two weeks since my last confession. Um, I've lost it, Father. Right? Um, I've been greedy. Right? Um, I masturbated. Right? We, say, we say these things, but it's sort of vague. But when you get down to causes and conditions and you step into the shame, right? I've worked with people that have, uh, their sexual compulsion is so great, their sexual sin is so great that they've gone to public libraries right? and looked at pornography and masturbated. They've engaged in all, right? We have to get specific because in the heart of that sin, in the heart of that deviance is shame and we have to uncover it. We have to present it to Christ. But we have to do that in the particulars. Step four, you're going to take that particular list and you're going to admit it to yourself. This is what I've done. This is how I am, this is who I am, this is how I've been functioning. You're gonna admit it to God. You're gonna take it and hand it all to him. And you're gonna admit it to another human being. Now I recommend that this is a trusted human being. <laughs> um, one point I wanna make is that not everybody deserves to hear your wounds or your hurts. People earn that right. You earn the right to, to experience somebody, somebody's insecurities, their wounds, their hurts, their fears. 
not a, there are a lot of great people on this campus, right? Um, not everybody deserves to see that part of you. It probably shouldn't be more than one or two people. And I heard something, there was a household, I heard this household was doing this, they had this circle and they invited everybody to share sort of their deep, dark wound. I think that's a terrible idea. And I, I don't mean that to be, I, not everybody deserves to hear that part of you. Right? It is an honor to be entrusted with that level of intimacy from somebody. And we should not have that kind of intimacy with everybody. Okay. So you're going to admit it to God, yourself, and another human being. But I think as Catholics, part of what we should do is spiritual direction and confession. I think you should take that list with every deep, dark secret, every shame, every every shameful thought you've ever had, every embarrassing thought, every fear, and you tell one of the priests right, in the context of spiritual direction and then confession. You share all your wounds with them. You share all the ways you've been preserving yourself from having to feel or experience that wound. Crack it open, share it with God, yourself, and another human being. Fifth step, every day after we do this, Right? After we do this, we first ask God to remove all of these defects of character. We take it in, we say, God, remove this from me. But we don't just say remove this. When we say this, we name every single thing. We crack it open and we hand it to him. And then every day from that day forward, and this is a journey that I do not recommend you take unless you are willing to commit to a life of this. Every day from that day forward, you wake up and you make a trade with God. And the trade you make with God is this. God, if you heal me and if you take away my selfishness today in all the selfish ways I try to keep myself safe and from having to feel pain, if you take away my wounds my false beliefs, my promises. If you take those away, I will do whatever it is you ask of me. And y'all, this will be one of the first times if you do this, that maybe you experience truly living God's will in a radical way because you will not be living out of self-interest. You will not be trying to control everything, to control your environment, to keep yourself safe. You give up the control, you give up the fear, and you make the trade with God. And God is, it's amazing, right? I've been doing this for 13 years now. And when you make this trade with God, take away my fear, take away my selfishness, take, take away my self-seeking, my self-preservation, I will do whatever you want if you take away my difficulties today, Lord. He does. It's an offer he can't refuse, y'all. I'll do whatever you want if you take away my difficulties. God's like, yeah, deal. <laughs> deal. All right. right. We get this great gift of healing, but we have to hold up our end of the bargain. And when we stop holding up our end of the bargain, when we take God's healing and we start using it for our self-interest, those wounds return, baby. So long as every day we hold up our end of the bargain, we go wherever God wants us to go, we say whatever he wants us to say, we do whatever he wants us to do, we get to keep that healing. And because we are not yet on the other side of the beatific vision, every day we watch for new ways in which God is revealing our wounds to us. Because we will have this radical healing, if we, if we follow these five steps, we will have this radical encounter with Christ and we will have this radical healing. But like I said, God is really, he's merciful in that he keeps blinders on us. And oftentimes we're only given what we can handle. And so we have these, we have these sort of blinders on and we heal. And then after a while, he'll remove the blinders. And, and this, is, this is what makes the saints saints, right? This is how the saints can say that and, and actually believe they are such great sinners. If you and I met St. Therese, right? And she's like, I am such a sinner. We'd be like, you know what I mean? Like, 
Uh, maybe not, right? Uh, probably not. But, but the truth is, she believed it, and she believed it. it. She wasn't kidding. And what she meant was, right, as God heals these big glaring things, as he removes the pornography addiction, as he stops the cutting, as your self-esteem returns, as you stop uh, having to numb your feelings and numb your insecurity with alcohol and jumping into people's beds, when those big things get removed, all of a sudden these other things start to appear, right? Like, gosh, I'm actually not as um, uh, patient as I thought I was, right? I, thought I, I always thought I was a really patient guy, right? And then I, then I had four kids, right? <laughs> and I realized that like, most of the reason I was patient is because I got to do whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted, right? <laughs> I want to binge watch Netflix, great. I can't watch, I can't binge watch Netflix when like kids need to be kept alive. Right? <laughs> right? And God reveals this to me. And those are like, those are funny things, but, but it also comes out in other ways, right? That are less funny, right? When I'm, when I'm impatient with my kids in a way and I see it, you do this, I've done this, I do it almost daily. I say something and I say it in such a way and I just see, their, I see that slump, like, right? Or my son's trying to explain why he did something, why he made a mistake. Papa, it's just that I, and I say, I don't want to hear it enough. Knock it off. He says, yes, sir, right? And I like the compliant. I like the yes, sir, right? That's good, all right? <laughs> but I see that look in his eyes. I see the message being formed. I see him internalizing that hurt. Dad doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Dad doesn't care. Right? I see it. But God is merciful in that he reveals these things to me in tiny doses. So those are the five steps. Um, I think that is the answer. I think the answer to why we might be sitting here tonight pretending is because we don't know how to get Christ in us. Now, keep this in mind. When I said that the answer was, was Christ, was radical love, our wounds are from a lack of love, so the answer is love, the answer is Christ, that naturally then means that once we do this, once we take these five steps, the sacraments start to have this resounding effect. When you receive the Eucharist, when you see the priest hold up the body of Christ for the first time after you do this, and you receive him into you, the level of intimacy, right, it's like really profound. When you go to confession and you hear those words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't even know if I can say that. That might not be even, I'm like healing. I'm, I'm forgiving sins as we speak. Okay? Um, when you hear, hear those words, after you've done this, right, you feel the touch of Christ. You don't need to pretend anymore. He can reach into the wound. Right? You've, you've put down your arms. You've opened up the gate. You've laid down the defense. So that, that is how I think we're called to heal life's daily hurts, life's deep wounds. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.